Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. And now, a message from our sponsor. The CPS Recruiting and Selection Unit is currently proactively recruiting new applicants and experienced officers in many communities within the province and across Canada. The Calgary Advantage includes paid training, work-life balance, home ownership opportunities, urban and rural lifestyle, access to sporting lifestyle in the Rockies, BC, and Montana. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blue Line the Podcast, a podcast created for and aimed at all members of law enforcement. I'm Brittany Schroeder, editor of Blue Line Magazine. In today's episode, I'm joined by Chief Mark Neufeld of the Calgary Police Service, and we're going to be speaking about an increasingly important topic in Canada, and that is bail reform. Thank you so much for joining me on this very important conversation, Chief. Thanks, Brittany. My pleasure. To start off, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So in the beginning, I'd love to know why you wanted to become a police officer. And then if you want to take us on a little journey from recruit to chief, I'd love to hear it. That might be a longer journey than you got time for. But (laughs) I actually, in terms of, you know, why I wanted to become a police officer, I didn't actually know that I did right away. Um, I was, you know, I grew up in a town of 500 people uh, in rural Alberta. And I was uh, went to high school with the same, you know, 20 kids from grade two all the way up to grade 12. And when I graduated, I, I recall being one of those kids that actually didn't really know what I wanted to do for sure. And I remember driving around after my graduation day and stuff like that, sort of the day after the graduation and and feeling a bit lost because there was other people in my class. A lot of my friends wanted to be lawyers and doctors and farmers and and they seemed to, have, to, seem to know the path. And I really didn't. And that stressed me a little bit. But, you know, it's funny how life introduces you to mentors and people who help you out. I had a supervisor uh, in my first job that I had. I was probably 17. I graduated at 17 or maybe I was 18 by then, uh, but who started to encourage me to, you know, pursue some post-secondary education and and get me to think a little bit, you know, very critically about that question because she knew that I was um, struggling with that question of what I was going to do. And yeah. I kind of decided that I wanted to be a fish and wildlife officer. And ironically, and like I say, the way life works sometimes, um, she goes, that's great. Uh, there's a program in Lethbridge at Lethbridge Community College. And by the way, my brother is going there and they have a house rented um, with a couple other people there in the law enforcement program. Amazing. And all you have to do is show up. And so I, I couldn't even really make an excuse why I wouldn't uh, <laughs> do that. And so anyway, yeah, I went to Lethbridge and I uh, went into the the uh, environmental science program to be a fish and wildlife officer. But, you know, it was through the exposure to those guys and their um, peer groups and that were in the law enforcement program that I kind of had my eyes open to it. Later, when I went back to my hometown, I started volunteering as an auxiliary member of the RCMP. And the members in the detachment treated me, you know, really, really well. And um, I ended up applying and it was taking some time. And I got some great advice by the detachment commander who was a sergeant. He said, look, we think you'd be a good fit for the RCMP, but you're not getting in. But he said, if you want to be a police officer, don't worry so much about the color of the shirt. Just get in and then you could always move around after. Okay. And so at this point, I'm not sure why this happened. You One would think, because I grew up 50 miles from Edmonton, that I would maybe go to Edmonton. Right. But I ended up applying to Vancouver, a place I'd never been before. Oh, and wow. so I actually, in 1990, well, maybe it was 1991 or so, I took a Greyhound bus 
out to Vancouver, um, you know, to begin the recruiting process, the stages of the process. And and funny story, really quickly, I walked around in downtown Vancouver. Again, never been there before. Arrived on the bus in the early 90s, ended up on the downtown east side. And I was like, I am never coming here. <laughs> I will continue to go through the process just to see if I'm competitive for when the RCMP finally come calling. Uh, but interestingly enough, I ended up, uh, you know, coming a few times and getting, uh, you know, better acquainted with other parts of Vancouver, other than just the downtown east side. Right. And ultimately, when they offered me the job, you know, you really have to think about whether or not, you know, you're really going to say no, that sounded easy before it was being offered. But anyway, I said yes. And I went down and I ended up um, graduating in Vancouver. But, it, you know, I only stayed a couple of years. And I was, uh, I was, uh sort of lured back home. Uh, my father uh, was my mother also, um, and he was ill. Uh, my mother had passed away when I was young and my dad needed some support. And so I ended up moving back to Alberta to Edmonton for family reasons. And so I had a full career with the Edmonton Police Service. I was there for 25 years. I had a fantastic career uh, with the Edmonton Police Service. I was very fortunate to be able to move back to Camrose. Camrose, for your listeners, is a small community not far from where I grew up. It's a It's sort of a central... A sort of a hub, a farming hub, agricultural hub in central Alberta. Um, and I ended up being the chief of police in Camrose. And then in 2019, I was I was fortunate enough to be selected for the chief job here in Calgary and uh, got here just in time for the pandemic. Uh, and the rest is history. Wow. But, but I have to tell you, it just tells you a bit of a story when I look back about mentors and people who you run into that change the trajectory of your life and where you might end up. And also the power of saying yes. There was, I look back sometimes at why I said yes to certain things at certain junctures in my career. Um, and it turned, you know, was let the outcome was less than certain. It might not have been the easy road, but actually they ended up being amazing experiences that contributed to uh to the end goal. So so amazing. I've had a great career. Uh, I feel like I started yesterday. That's incredible. And I just have to point out it's funny that you said for our listeners you know, about cameras. That also helped me out because I've, I've only been to Alberta like twice. So that was like, okay, where is that? <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, it's not, yeah, it sounds like you've had such a great career. And also I just wanted to say congratulations because you have been confirmed as the chief of police until 2027. So congratulations on that as well. Now kind of going to more of a, a, a serious topic, uh, I'd like to shift our focus into bail reform. In recent months, you've penned a few articles and openly shared your thoughts on this topic. But for our listeners, can you talk about what motivated you to speak up on this topic in the first place? Yeah, for sure. This is a really, really important topic right across this country. And when I think about the reason the police exist, it's to ensure our communities and our citizens are safe. And we have a responsibility to support and ensure the safety of the people who actually do that important work. And that's the men and women that are actually delivering the police service and keeping communities safe across this country. So my colleagues and I, and so when I talk about my colleagues, I'm talking about other police leaders in the country. We're actually a very close group across the country. And, and so we talk about these issues and, you know, very quickly we realized this wasn't an issue that was just unique to Calgary or Edmonton or Ottawa or Vancouver or Regina or, or anywhere. It was right across the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was actually underscored also by leaders in the police associations um, community, the police governance community, like everybody was seeing that. And ultimately, even the elected you know, premiers across the country um, got together to advocate in the same way. So, you know, we realized that that we simply weren't doing enough, a good enough job right now of protecting society across Canada from serious violent offenders. Mm -hmm. 
So, and that's not, I got to say, that's not because police weren't doing a very good job of arresting the people that were committing the offenses mm-hmm. um, and dealing with the people re- responsible, but it was because we were releasing them back into the communities after the police had made the arrest and, and the charge, and then they were reoffending in some cases. And so across the country, we've seen the horrific impact of that failure of our justice system. In my own city, we crunched the numbers for just a really small subset of uh, accused persons. And so those were people who were charged with murder, the most, you know, the most serious offense mm-hmm. of uh, homicide. And so for the years 2021, 2022, and actually I updated this for uh, our discussion today, 2023 year to date. So as of yesterday, 30 of 52 accused persons who were, who were accused of committing the offense of murder were out on release or bail at the time that they were alleged to have committed the, the murder of another person in Calgary, 30 of 52. Wow. In addition to that, we're all familiar with the increasing levels of violence that are being perpetrated on our own officers. And some of that is being committed by repeat violent offenders uh, who are also out on bail. Mm-hmm. So that was the case. You know, if you think back to December of last year, I believe it was the end of last year, OPP Constable Greg Pristala was murdered by Randall McKenzie on the roadside, out, somewhere outside of Hamilton, I believe it was. Um, and Constable Pristala had actually stopped to help uh, Mr. McKenzie uh, and a female that their vehicle was in the ditch there. There is, you know, obviously Mr. McKenzie was out on bail and there was lots of red flags and lots of indicators to suggest that Randall McKenzie would reoffend and perhaps do so violently, yet bail was granted anyway. And we, we've seen the outcome of that. So between the the need to protect the community, which is, like I say, the fundamental reason police exist, and then the need to support the people that actually are doing that important work, we and I felt this was a, just a really important topic that we came out and spoke about. Speaking of criteria, what kinds of strict criteria do you think that there should be for those who are seeking bail in our country? Yeah, so great question. I think I've seen a number of different approaches uh, in sort of op-eds and in you know other police leaders speaking and that sort of thing. But in the op-ed that myself and my colleagues wrote the Globe and Mail earlier this year, we really want it to be very simple. We wanted to actually have a really simple message, something that actually could be um, implementable, that would actually start a conversation. So we didn't know where it would end necessarily. But really, it was this. If you've used a weapon of any type in the commission of a violent offense more than once, you're unlikely to be granted uh, release from custody, period, end of sentence. And so um, like I say, I, I totally recognize that bail is a constitutional right and the importance of the, the legal principle of, the, of uh, the presumption of innocence. But, uh, you know, right now when you were talking about, um, you know, are we, I think there was a question there about dealing with people in, in the system. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not talking for a second or suggesting that, you know, we need to deny bail to every offender or to undo some of the good work that we've done around marginalized populations and those that are overrepresented in the criminal justice system in the past number of years. This is really about dealing with the small number of repeat violent offenders who've demonstrated that they are very likely or most likely to reoffend. Um, Canadians, I think, know what's fair and reasonable and putting nonviolent you know, offenders in the same category with repeatedly violent accused persons and having them in the same basket when they're trying to apply for bail uh, or seek release, it's, it's neither fair nor reasonable. So I think the current state that we have now and the outcomes that we're seeing uh, undermines public confidence in the entire criminal justice system. And that includes the police, because I don't think the public necessarily delineates where the breakdown is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when that happens, we end up putting our citizens and police officers at risk. And I think that's where we are now. Definitely. Um, kind of building off of how you were saying 
putting them all in the same basket. Um, can you speak to the testing that is conducted for offenders when, when seeking bail? Um, what could be changed about these tests to ensure that these serious or repeat violent offenders are given the utmost scrutiny? Yeah, great, great point. So there, it's sort of a complex, I think, a series of complex legal tests that are taken into consideration uh, by judges and justices when they when they do look at uh, decisions around bail. But one thing I think that's that's really fairly obvious is that historical patterns of violent behavior uh, are typically very strong predictors of future behavior. Mm -hmm. And so those things should be given more weight than they're they're being given currently. So notwithstanding the fact that, you know, as I said, in the case of uh, Mr. McKenzie, there were, you know, lots of red flags in relation to it. They simply didn't outweigh some of the other considerations around around being a member of a marginalized community and this type of thing. So I think there just needs to be a different look at the weighting of, of the different factors that must be taken into consideration. So, but I think among the highest priorities in reforming this critical piece of our criminal justice system is just to ensure that bail applications for the most serious and again, repeat violent offenders receive higher levels of scrutiny than, you know, people coming in there for property offenses or or whatever the case might be. I, I mentioned earlier, we have to remember the presumption of innocence. People that are seeking bail are innocent until proven guilty. And so that's why bail is the default position. But there just needs to be more mindfulness or more of a more of a, a conscious effort to make sure that where we're seeing patterns of repeat violent behavior, the decision makers around bail are weighing that to make sure that the, the most serious and harmful offenders in our community, and the, and the number isn't that large, but that those folks are actually being treated differently than individuals who are coming into contact with the justice system for something lesser. And so that's that's the piece. Right now, people are being treated the same, and I, I think there's nothing the same about them. And you mentioned earlier that this is a problem that's all across Canada and your fellow police chiefs and deputy chiefs and also the premiers of provinces, you're all seeing this problem and you're all wanting to do something about it. Do you think the steps that are being taken now, especially in 2023, we're moving in the right direction? Well, we were. Um, and, and, I, and I would say I think we are. But I was a bit disheartened. I think there was a very strong lobby from basically all corners of society to say that our, our our communities are not feeling safe. And we're saying we're pointing to the fact that there's there is so much recidivism and that we're having a hard time managing the number of, of serious repeat violent offenders that are being released into the community. We're having a hard time, like as police services, you know, you know from uh, some of the discussions on previous podcasts that a lot of services are dealing with real challenges around staffing and, and resourcing. And meanwhile, when the decisions made to put um, or to return some of these individuals out onto the street, you know, who, who do you think is having to go and manage that and make sure that when there's conditions put on them, that they're actually abiding by those conditions? Yeah. So this is the, this becomes the responsibility of the police. Once again, in Calgary here, we've prioritized over a thousand offenders who are involved in in uh, violent offenses. And now we don't have the resources to manage all, you know, everybody who's out. But that just gives you some idea of the scope and scale. And I, I said it was a small number. That sounds, the whole number sounds large. But at the end of the day, in a city of 1.4 million people, that's still a relatively small number. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think that's a really important piece and why we continue to call on the federal government to address that serious community safety issue. And so we, we got traction there with uh, the previous um, justice minister, and there was some steps underway. And mm -hmm. then I think it was deferred to the fall sitting 
of the legislature. So I, I think we're in the right, you know, I think we're moving in the right direction. I would have hoped we would have gotten there faster. And I'm really hopeful about what will happen uh, in the fall. But to be honest, we're still waiting on all of this. As serious as everybody understands that it is, and as the government acknowledged that it is, we're still waiting on this one. As I mentioned earlier, uh, you are chief until 2027. I'd love to know what you're hoping to see happen over the next few years in terms of bail reform, and then also just for the Calgary Police Service and your members. Oh, yeah, lots there. Um, yeah, well, thanks. In terms of the the contract extension until 2027, I'm very fortunate. We have a wonderful team uh, here in Calgary and, and lots of work to do. Um, some of the work that we were trying to do sort of when the pandemic came up was put behind. And so I feel really fortunate to be able to have given and been granted an extension to continue that good work with the team. And like I say, I'm humbled and privileged to continue to lead our organization. We have a great organization and to do that into the future. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that's important to me. But what am I hoping to sort of see happen over the next few years with respect to that? I guess I would say that post-pandemic in communities across the country, and including my own, you know, people are not feeling safe in public spaces. And, and we've seen some of the challenges that have sort of played out on transit across the country as well. So I've said before that the, the main reason that we exist as police is to keep communities safe. Um, you know, there's been lots of discussion around the intersections of law enforcement and public health. And I, and I believe that. I think that we actually as police officers in, you know, in sort of the post-pandemic era, we've got to be working collaboratively across the systems to get the right resources to the right people at the right time. But we can't have an identity crisis either. Some people would like to see the police become uh, social workers or mental health workers or whatever the case might be. And the reality of it is the police are unique in terms of the powers and the authorities and the responsibilities that we're given. And if we don't do the things that we need to do, for instance, using the criminal justice, the policing related and criminal justice tools that we have when appropriate, then we're actually letting the community down. And so I, I, I'm not looking for my police officers here in Calgary to be social workers and that type of thing. I'm working for I'm looking for our folks to work with our partners in health and social services and across the spectrum and to make sure that we're working together to make the environment safe for people to work to get out to people and that type of thing but what we're seeing is there seems to be confusion as well sometimes between criminal and vulnerable on our streets right now as well and, and there's this belief that everybody is vulnerable but the reality of it is if you dig into it like with encampments and stuff like that what we're seeing is all you know scads of stolen property and that type of thing so we've got individuals who are sleeping rough and who are presenting as as vulnerable and in many in many ways they are but the reality of it is they're still victimizing other people and so in cases like that we need to actually use criminal justice tools to to basically stop people from victimizing others mm -hmm. and there's, there's lots of opportunity to sort of divert people into services post-defense we've got drug treatment court and indigenous courts here in calgary and some opportunities to you know look at some therapeutic justice options but it, but it all still begins with the police doing their job. Mm -hmm. So like I say, I, my top priority in that of our service is to continue to ensure that our city is safe, a uh, safe place for Calgarians and people who visit here to live, work, learn, and play. That's got to be number one for us. Uh, and that requires me uh, as you know one of the police leaders here in the province to continue to support the women and men of the police service who are doing that difficult job, as I said, at a very difficult time. And while there's lots of talk about, you know, we need to create a new system and all of these things, the reality of it is police have a responsibility now and we need to unapologetically be the police and 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 be there for the community with the tools and authorities that we have. So I think that's that's really important. Police officers have faced sharp criticism 
uh, a lot of it unfairly. And as police leaders, if there's issues, we know that we'll take responsibility and we'll fix them. But we also need to stand up when our people do the right thing. Uh, or when people make a mistake, they're trying to do the right thing, but they make a mistake. We need to make sure we're standing up and supporting our people when that happens as well. Um, I think that's really, really important, particularly right now, um, because we know that there's lots of negativity and that type of thing. But it's it's really critical that we look after our folks. So I think for the next number of years, for me, again, this community safety piece, right now we're seeing sort of a, a, a bit of an upward tick in crime and safety issues in our communities. And so we've got to be fully engaged on that and supporting the men and women right now that uh, are out on the pointy end of the stick. So that's what I'll be doing for the next few years. That sounds like a fantastic plan. I'm really excited to see what happens over the next few years for you guys. Chief, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me on today's episode and for sharing your thoughts on bail reform and what our next steps might be in terms of keeping the right people off the streets and, you know, making sure everyone's safe, like you just said. For everyone who tuned in, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. You can check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stay up to date on all of your Canadian policing news at blueline.ca. Until next time, stay safe and be well. And thank you, Chief. Thanks, Brittany. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 